Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi there. I'm Cindy Linden, and this is the Cook Along Podcast. I am talking to you today on location at the Oregon coast, where I am staying with an old friend from high school, actually junior high school. His name is Pat, and he has become a cook I admire. And I just got to tell you that even right now, as I'm speaking to you, he is carefully eyeballing the measurement of some lovely red wine, beautiful color, into a glass measuring cup. So you know we're going to start with something good. Today we are going to make what I always thought was called moussaka. Is that right? Moussaka. 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 We're gonna, he's he's going to make the moussaka, and I'm going to uh, probably get drafted into some kind of work, but I'm going to let him do the guest appearance. Yes, this is my first guest podcaster, so I'm excited. The recipe is long and complicated. Well, I don't know how complicated it is, but there's a lot of ingredients. So if you want to play along, I'll just tell you what your ingredient list is for today. So we make the sauce separately, and first, it's a Greek tomato sauce. It makes six cups of sauce. So you would need three tablespoons of olive oil, one onion, one clove of garlic, and either a can of tomatoes for a total of about four and a half cups, which might be, I'm thinking two 15-ounce cans or maybe a 28-ounce can, or five very ripe fresh tomatoes. I think we're using canned today, is that right? Canned tomatoes, not fresh ones. Uh, actually, we've got some frozen from our garden from last summer that we're going to use and then fill it out with the rest of the sauce. Fabulous, fabulous. So we're using real tomatoes, not canned tomatoes. I mean, not that those aren't real tomatoes, but you know what I mean. Two tablespoons of chopped fresh parsley, two teaspoons of fresh oregano, the cup of red wine, it says preferably dry, We have an eight-ounce can of tomato sauce, a quarter of a teaspoon of ground cinnamon, a pinch of allspice. Oh, he's using, oh my goodness, he's using something from Elk Cove Vineyards, a 2018 Willamette Valley Estate Pinot Noir. Now, that is stuff I don't even buy to drink because it's too expensive, but here he is. This is his cooking wine. That gives you some sense of how he cooks. That was the tomato sauce. And then we get into the actual moussaka ingredients. And for that, you need two medium eggplants. It says about a pound each. 
and then a half tablespoon of salt. That's the middle part. And then the third part is the meat sauce. Two and a half pounds of ground beef, a teaspoon of salt. Oh my goodness, it goes on. Then you need your tomato sauce, which we're going to make first. Some more cinnamon. A cup of freshly grated Parmesan cheese. Once again, please, please, please don't use this stuff in the cardboard box. Half a cup of olive oil. Oh, and here's step four, the topping. A third of a cup of butter, a half a cup of flour, a quart, a quart of milk. You got that? That's a quart. And the recipe says they use 1% milk. And a teaspoon of salt, a little more nutmeg, a little more Parmesan. Oh, here comes my sampling of the wine. And six eggs, which we're going to beat. So it's a four-step process. Hold on, I'm going to sample the wine. Oh, oh, I do love a Pinot Noir. That's my very favorite stuff. We're going to end up with something that's a big casserole full of tomato cheesy goodness. Oh, and I forgot, he's adding potatoes to this. And I don't know how much yet, but when we're all done, I'll be sure to let you know how many we used. He's got right now six sort of smallish Yukon Golds out that he's going to cook, and then we'll decide how much to use. So I've just learned something which I already knew, but don't indulge in it at home myself, which is that the cooking wine is not just for the food, but for the cook. I am having some of the same Pinot Noir that he's going to cook with. I can't believe he's cooking with this. It's amazing. It's just this incredibly gorgeous, dark Bing cherry kind of color. And it's so good. It's really so nice. You got to liquefy both the recipe and the chef. That's what, marinade, there, that's the right word, we're marinating, (laughs) we're marinating. (laughs) Pat and I met, as near as I can recall, when we were about 13 years old, and we were in algebra class together, and we were in Spanish class together, and we later ended up doing music together. In fact, in high school, we were in the elite show choir, and he and I were partners for, for that, so he would stand behind me with his hands on my shoulders most of the time. It was really quite elaborate choreography. (laughs) Yes, he's swinging his hips around the kitchen now. And interestingly enough, we have stayed in touch all these years, despite them moving away from me a long distance and then coming back. And uh, they have this lovely house at the coast that they've just built. And so we are watching the sun sparkling on the waters of the ocean as we cook. I know that makes you jealous. I'm really glad to be here. All right, you guys. So I'm learning things and they don't think they've started yet, but they have. So Pat's wife is also helping and she's sous chefing is what it looks like. So it turns out the nutmeg we're going to use is actually whole nutmeg that they are grinding with a microplaner. It's like a zester, kind of. And Pat just told her not to do it into a ceramic bowl because it gets electrostatically charged. Now, you know, who who knew? We didn't know this. It sticks to the bowl, and you can't get it out of the bowl. So what do we do it into? Straight into the sauce. Oh, straight into the... Well, duh. We're going to make Oh, right. We're going to... Oh, gosh. Is that on here? Is that what this is? This yeah. be- The topping is the bechamel? Uh-huh. All right. Okay. So she has chopped up the onion, and we have this huge, it was a really big onion, and it's all been chopped into little bits. So just chop your onion. She's now smashing the garlic uh, so that we can get the peel off of it. And you've heard me talk about all these things in prior podcasts. 
In terms of equipment, if you're going to use fresh nutmeg, you have to get the fresh nutmeg. And sometimes those are tricky to find. You're not just going to find it in your local supermarket sitting in with the jars of other spices necessarily. And we've got a large, what kind of pan is that? It's like a little wok. It's interesting. It's kind of the size of a large saucepan, but it's rounded edges and they've got a pot boiling looks like a big pot i think that's where the potatoes are going right and then and then we got two measuring cups out here what other kind of equipment are we going to use ultimately we'll uh, be making the bechamel in and i'll need to get a separate pot out for it because it can't be done in either one of these I don't know what all right so we've got you're going to need three separate pans it looks like there we go. We got a, a medium saucepan, so you need like a two-quart saucepan probably. So just a forewarning, you may need to listen to this podcast all the way through before you actually try to cook it, because I think we're going to add equipment as we go, and I wouldn't, knowing Pat, wouldn't be surprised if we also add ingredients as we go. But you've got the basic list, and I'm going to let him talk to you from here. We're ready. Okay, so... I think of this as just one big Greek casserole is basically the deal. And it comes in a lot of different, oh, not flavors, but styles. And people do different layerings, but it's really kind of Greek lasagna, basically. But instead of using noodles, you're going to use eggplant in order to do it. In between the layers of the eggplant, you are going to use the meat sauce that we'll end up making. But also, in a really great Greek restaurant where we used to live in the desert southwest, we discovered that one of the old Greek grandmas used parboiled potatoes as one of the layers of this Greek casserole. Instead of the, the... It's in addition to the eggplant. So we've got the two eggplants that are going to provide one layer each, and we've, then we'll have one layer of sliced potatoes. And so we'll just kind of go through the preparation of all of these things as we do it. But to start out with, the first thing that needs, I think, to be done is to parboil the potatoes. So I've got the potatoes on. I'm probably going to let them go for, oh, maybe seven to ten minutes max. When you stick a fork into them, they'll still have a lot of structure to them. They won't be soft like they're ready to eat. And that's important because otherwise you're going to be working with mashed potatoes when you start to put the casserole together, and that's no fun. The eggplant, we're going to slice in about quarter-inch slices. And if you look at an eggplant, it's a big oval, oblong thing. So you're going to cut uh, eighth to quarter-inch slices in the long plane of the eggplant. So you end up with these nice big slices. That's really one of the first things after getting the potatoes on to boil. And so they can cool down, you're going to work with them. Uh, You work with the eggplant because after you slice it, It has to be salted and let to stand in a strainer in order to get a lot of the fluid out of the eggplant. Otherwise, you end up with a soupy casserole. So basically, by salting it, you pull out some of the water in the eggplant, and then you're left with what you're going to cook after you rinse all the salt off of it. Now, I've done that before, and the... the rinsed them off and it was still too salty when I was done. Do you have an issue with that ever? No, not so much. It may have been that you used small salt. Did you grind your own salt? No. I use a salt grinder for sea salt and so it's a larger crystal rather than that really fine iodized salt. So I think you end up with probably 
pretty salty food by doing that. My listeners would tell you that I tell them not to use iodized salt because it leaves a flavor behind. Yeah. So are we going to peel the eggplant? Nope. You don't peel the eggplant. I, I think that the fun part of it actually is that the skin that's on it gives some texture to the casserole. Okay. Eggplant's got this weird, very odd structure on the inside with these really fine little seeds that are in it. And the skin on the outside actually helps it hold its structure together so when you ultimately cut the casserole in the end, it doesn't just all fall apart. So again, I'm just going to, with my glasses on so I don't chop off my fingers, I'm going to cut what are going to be about quarter inch thick slices. That look like about a quarter inch to you, Cindy? Yeah. Okay. And there's really nothing too much to it. I try to make them as even as I can because one of the other things we're going to do after we salt these is we're going to roast them separately before we put them into the casserole dish. You don't put them in just raw this way. So I'm just going to continue to slice and... So you're just making sure they're all going to be done at the same time is the reason to keep them even. Yes. Yeah. And I think you probably lose some water additionally when you do the baking part. As you'll see when it comes out of the oven, they've sort of shriveled up a little bit. And don't worry if you get some pieces of the eggplant that are just not perfect quarter inch or eighth inch slices. That's just not something to worry about. It'll come out fine in the end. After all, it is a casserole. On one end of the eggplant is the part where it started as the blossom. And so it's a hard green flower-like top that's at the top of the eggplant. So you always want to get rid of that. Some people cut off the bottom of it, but I don't. There's just not enough structure there to be worried about. Those tops are, are prickly sometimes. Uh-huh. Stabbed by them. Yep. And then I always have trouble because this is ovoid. I guess one of the things I can do is cut a side off of it. So now I've got a flat surface for the eggplant to rest on. And I'm almost to the end of this second one-pound eggplant. And I weighed them out in the store after I read the recipe. I never do that. I always kind of wondered how big they were. I know I always use two. So each one of them weighed about a pound. And they're pretty good-sized eggplants. It's not like a little Japanese eggplant. These are the full-sized things. Okay, so they're all sliced up. So now they're ready to be salted. We use Kirkland salt on the grinder. It works just fine. You want to salt both sides of this, just one big... So he's putting them in a colander. Yep. I've always tried it like on a cookie sheet, but he's putting them in a colander. He salts the side. He flips it over. He salts the other side, one grind. And then he adds the next piece to the colander. Boy, this is a lot simpler than I've tried to do. It's still time-consuming, though. You've got to do each of the slices themselves. And now I picked up one that I think is way too thick on one side. So what I'm going to do is just give it a little slice so that it evens out the one big piece of it. And you end up with something that's the correct dimensions and then one little wedge that came off the other side. And you can still use it. It'll tuck in somewhere. Yeah. It's a casserole. Oh, this is, yeah, I can see how this would use a lot less salt by using the large grain stuff to grind. I mean, that was probably my problem right there. Because I just, you know, use my shaker, and <laughs> and they all dissolved is what happened. The salt just dissolved mm-hmm. onto the eggplant. It's a lot of salt. There's no two ways around it, so don't get too attached to the fact that you're you're truly wasting salt by doing this. Well, that's okay. 
as long as it doesn't all end up in the recipe. Is my that was my problem. Oh yeah. So we're gonna just go away for a couple of minutes and let you salt your eggplants. And when everything <laughs> has been salted, come back to us and we'll tell you some more. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just sixty bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince—they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and three hundred sixty-five day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film. If only in theaters May seventeenth. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for fifteen dollars a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential plan on us. Mintmobile. com slash switch. Upfront payment of forty five dollars, equivalent to fifteen dollars per month, unlimited over forty gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at four eighty p. Active Mint customers by five thirty one twenty four get six months of Paramount Plus Essential plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May thirty first, twenty twenty four. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. Since two thousand thirteen, Bombas has donated over one hundred million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over one thousand one hundred and fifty-seven days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. That's bombas.com/acast code acast. Okay, we've got our eggplants all salted now, but it turns out they're going to sit for about half an hour. But Pat wants to continue the recipe, so leave your eggplants where they are, and we'll move on to the next step. So the eggplants are sitting in a colander in the sink, draining, so that as they lose moisture, that's the whole point of the salting process here, is for the eggplants to lose some of the moisture so they aren't soupy when you ultimately cook them. So I've got a big wok-like pan and this one really large sweet onion, we tend to use sweet ones, that I'm gonna put into the frying pan. And the heat is maybe a little bit high. Can you hear them sizzling? You don't wanna over fry them. You don't wanna end up with browned onions. You wanna just cook them so that they're translucent by the time we're done. And to that, I'm gonna add one clove of garlic and it's been minced by my extra special spouse. Okay, you're making me nuts. There's one little bit in there. It's coming out oh. right there. Sorry. Here it goes. I've got one on my finger, too. Cindy doesn't like leaving a minced piece of garlic out of the recipe. All right. So now that's going to need to be stirred around a little bit here. There in the pan were about two tablespoons of olive oil that I warmed up first before I added the onions to it. You don't wanna add cold onions to cold olive oil 
because it just doesn't end up coating all of the onions the way you want it to. It makes it more liquid and it'll surround the onions and you'll end up with, a, I think, a more even onion preparation. Okay, so the onions are now going to cook. Probably it's going to take 10 minutes or so. They're on a, about a medium heat. I use a, a gas range to cook everything. The potatoes are set on high as they can be because I'm just trying to get them to boil for a while. But the onions, about medium for, I'm going to say 10 to 12 minutes is probably what it's going to end up taking. I'm sort of basically looking for translucency. So I just stuck a knife into the potatoes. They've been on for maybe, I don't know, seven minutes or so, something in that ballpark. And the knife goes into it quite easily, but I know it's not soft. It's just, it's not raw anymore. And that's what you're really aiming for. So I'm just turning the heat off and the ideal will be here for me to get another strainer so that I can strain the potatoes. All right, so they can just sit, frankly, in the warm pan. They'll carry over, cook perhaps a little bit more during the time while we're going to work on the other things that we're working on. Time to take a look at the onions, make sure that they're not getting brown. You don't want browned onions. You want them just to become translucent, and that's the value of cooking things on a medium heat as opposed to on a high heat. You may get done faster, but you'll end up with brown onions, and they are tough that way. All right, so next thing maybe I'll do in advance is that I have to have for the topping on this, which is a bechamel sauce, is I need six eggs. So I'm just going to crack six eggs into a Pyrex measuring cup. There are three major components. There's the meat sauce, well, maybe four. There's the meat sauce, the eggplant, the potatoes, and then on top of everything goes this bechamel that we're gonna make at the tail end. And it takes six eggs. But once you make this and get over the shock of putting this much cholesterol into one dish, you'll never go back. It's kind of like learning to use butter to cook with. After you do that, you never go back to margarine or whatever else it was that you used to use. Butter is sort of like the secret sauce. <laughs> it will be part of the bechamel. It's butter, flour, salt, six eggs and some salt and pepper, nutmeg and milk. Yeah. Wow. wow. So it's a large quantity of sauce too. You're going to look at it and go, I don't think that's supposed to go on there. And in fact, yes, that, that is exactly the amount that should go on there. <laughs> so I have a pretty good sized pan that I'm intending to make this in. We should probably also tell them the origin of this particular recipe. There is a famous old cooking book that Jeff Smith, the frugal gourmet, did several cooking books, and one of them was Ancient Cuisines. And this came out of that cooking book. Actually, I don't have that book with me right now, so I just pulled it off the internet. You can find it if you put in Jeff Smith Musica, and you'll get the recipe that we've been using for 15, 20 years now. Wow and haven't found anything better other than the one adaptation of adding the potatoes into the recipe that came from that restaurant in the desert southwest. So 13 by 11 pan, about two and a half inches deep is what we're going to use to assemble this whole thing. Okay, so the onions have now cooked down to sort of translucent. They do have a little brownness to some of them. I'll have to just tell you that's not the exact way I want to do it, but now I'm going to add the lamb. 
as Cindy told you, the recipe often is just ground beef. And we have discovered over the years, lamb is much more traditional to Greek food, and it has a special taste. You may not like lamb. A lot of people think they don't. I would ask you to give this one a try because I think it just imparts such a special and realistic Greek taste to the food. It is the meat that was used for this dish forever and ever. So I'm gonna turn the heat back on to maybe medium to medium high because what I'm gonna do now is brown the meat with the onions. And lamb has a fair amount of fat in it, so you don't need to add any more fat to this. As it heats up, remember we put a couple of tablespoons of olive oil in with the onions to begin with. So as it heats up, the fat will render out of the lamb and we'll end up with lamb and onions. And then we'll be ready to add our tomato sauce to that. So now it's just a matter of time. All right, so we have put the lamb and the onions on to cook. And while they're browning, Cindy and I thought it would be useful for you to know why I like to cook. And like I think probably many, many people, it's a family thing for me. My mom, I always think of as a good old German cook, but in fact, she had a pretty good sense of taste and really liked working in the kitchen with us as kids. Did you help cook in the kitchen? Yep, all the time. So my brothers were not as interested as I was, and I don't know why that ended up being the case. It was just what I enjoyed doing. So were you cooking clear back in high school with your mom? Yeah. I mean, I was sous chef for mine, you know? Well, I suppose I was doing the same thing. I was probably sous chefing with my mom for the most part. My mom is no longer with us, and I can vividly remember the last time we cooked together. It was uh, an old Betty Crocker brownie recipe. And so I was looking at this recipe, and it had some, you know, sort of really old-fashioned, you know, not really high-quality cooking techniques recommended in it. And I was complaining about it, and she said to me, quit complaining and just follow the recipe. (laughs) (laughs) And then 24 hours later, she was in a coma. So it's a wonderful, well, see, it's a really wonderful story, because that was what she ate for dinner that night, was chocolate brownies. Yeah, so I've just, for all the time that... Since I was a little kid, I've loved to cook. And of course, as an opportunity of getting to travel the world for work and lecturing around the the continents, I had the opportunity to eat in a lot of really high-quality restaurants. And I got to taste cuisines from every corner of the planet, basically in the authentic mode, and discovered that I have kind of a very special sense of taste. And so I can actually taste recipes and figure out what they put in them. Oh my God, uh, yeah. Not in the exact right proportion, so I have to monkey around with that, but I can smell the herbs, I can taste them, and I can kind of almost dissect the recipe. And it's a game that I enjoy playing. It's not like work. I mean, I suppose some people will work trying to steal other people's recipes. I just enjoyed the cuisines. And when you taste them prepared by the local chefs in Greece, for instance, what we're doing tonight, and you know what it's supposed to taste like in that mode, then it really elevates the food that you're making in your own kitchen to a whole nother level. Well, a lot of people don't get that opportunity in life. I was fortunate, very fortunate, but it's allowed me in my own kitchen now to prepare foods that I think have very authentic flavors from the travel. Mm-hmm. tend to serve things that are, are unfamiliar and a little more sophisticated 
and I think sometimes we have a very informal and very quiet kind of little competition to see if we can impress each other with our recipes. Yeah, we enjoy it. And I feel like I've modeled some of my cooking on, there are a couple of people. I can think of maybe two people besides my mom. You know, my mom taught me the basics, but I can think of maybe two people, and you're one of them, whose cooking inspires me to try higher level things. Mm -hmm. You know, to explore recipes that otherwise I might think were too much trouble or I don't know. And that's in fact why I picked this particular recipe because I think when people initially look at this, they're gonna really worry that this is way too complicated to do. And in essence, it's a casserole. The ingredients take a little while to pull together and I think that's the part of the key to really good cooking as I turn the, the lamb that's frying here with this onion in its own fat. I think that the ingredients make the taste for one thing, but the time you allow things to develop their flavors is also really key. You cannot rush meat sauces. You can't uh, add tomatoes to this meat sauce as we're going to do and say, oh, I'm now ready to assemble things. It has to cook down. And that, one of the other things you heard at the top is we're going to add red wine to this. That has to cook out the alcohol from it. You don't drink the alcohol in a sauce. You just get the tannins and the grape notes out of the wine. You don't drink wine in sauce. You're using it as a way to bring the sauce together, in essence. So yeah, when you come over to our, our house and we cook things, I do try to find things that we've not fixed for you before because I don't like to eat the same thing over and over again. There are a couple of things that I know you've really enjoyed. Oh, yeah. And we've done them a second time, but I, I usually try to intersperse two or three or four different things in between. You know, it goes clear back to the, I think you were the first, you're the only person actually who's ever made me a from scratch tortilla chicken soup. Chicken tortilla soup. Mm-hmm. There is nothing like making your own broth. People don't believe that it makes that big of a difference and that you can buy quality broth. You can. And in a pinch, you absolutely use it. But when you have leftover Costco chicken, for instance, you cook the carcass down with carrots and onions and celery. And the product from that is, it can't be beat. All right, so one thing I haven't done up to this point is to add any salt and pepper. And I think many of the famous chefs in the world would probably have had a stroke by this point because they would have salted the onions to begin with. They think you need to salt every layer of the food. I personally haven't found that to be true. Um, I probably added about a teaspoon of salt. Oh, just now? That was like Yeah, about a teaspoon. And then pepper, I kind of just go crazy with. I, I'm also using peppercorns, teaberry uh, peppercorns, which I think are the, really the best. But they're, again, they're a Kirkland brand. And I use quite a bit of it. I don't know, probably a, another teaspoon of it. It doesn't come out as fast as the salt does, so you have to keep grinding in order to bring it up. That's just to taste. You, you should do whatever amount of salt and whatever amount of pepper you ultimately think you're going to need. But while the sauce, the meat is cooking down with the onions right here, I think it's a good time to add the salt and pepper. And this is all going to be cooked further, as I said, once the tomato sauce that I've now got ready gets mixed with it. It's all going to come together in one pot and then it's going to have to reduce down because the tomato sauce that we selected was the last of last year's frozen tomato sauce from the garden. 
and we prepared it just by stewing tomatoes with oregano and salt and pepper and there may be some onion in that too i'm not sure you never have too much onion in my thinking about food <laughs> garlic too this this recipe's only got that one clove of garlic in it which makes it a little bit funny because I think of Greek food as being pretty heavy really? on garlic. Like when we took that Greek cooking class together yeah. and made tzatziki sauce, yeah. oh, my oh my gosh, that's just straight up <laughs> garlic and yogurt. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, like equal parts of each. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm thinking this needs to probably have some of the fat lifted off of it because lamb is a kind of a fatty meat. So I'm going to pause for just a second while I do that. Okay, so I actually came back to let you know how I strain the fat off of this. It's still in a hot frying pan at this point, and because the lamb has rendered a lot of fat, but also a lot of useful juice off of it, the purest way to do this would be to pour all the liquid off into a separator where you could separate the liquid from the fat because the fat will float. So what I do instead is to push away the meat in the frying pan so that I've got just liquid coming down. And there's probably a good cup of liquid here. And it's a mixture of meat juice, which I don't want to get rid of, and fat. So I'm going to take my spoon and just barely let it touch the top part of the liquid phase come into the spoon. And hopefully I'm going to get rid of a good part of the fat. I think a little bit of fat adds a lot of flavor, but you don't want greasy. Yeah, I've been done to actually, in order to keep from losing the juice, to just leave the rest, leave the fat in there in order to preserve the juice. Mm -hmm. I'm only going to take one spoonful off of it because this is just not separating particularly well, meaning that there probably isn't as much fat as I thought there was in this. And I'd really rather keep the juice because that's going to really enrich our meat sauce that we're going to end up layering in between the layers of the eggplant. Okay, so at this point, the, that burner's turned off, and this has now gotten to be too big to do absolutely everything together. So what I'm going to do is transfer it over to... A big soup pot. It's the thing you did the, you boiled the potatoes in. Yeah. So, in fact, I threw the potatoes out to cool, and I'm now going to put the meat sauce into this carefully. Because it's just going to... If I added everything together at this point, it would overflow. I don't need that. The tomato product, again, is out of our garden from last year. What you do is just take a whole tomato and put it into boiling water for about 30 seconds. Take a slotted spoon, take it out, let it cool a little bit, and the skin will slide right off the tomato. And then you cut it open after it's cooled. In fact, most people would put it in ice water before they pulled the skin off of it. Because you're not cooking the tomato, you're just cooking the skin away from the tomato. And then after you do it and it's cooled down enough to handle, then I cut it in half and you have to get rid of the seeds. Oh, really? Yeah, tomato seeds, I think the reason they don't get used is they're bitter, for one thing. Oh, for heaven's sake. And it makes a weird texture to the sauce. It makes it almost kind of grainy. So anyway, these have been peeled and seeded. So to the lamb and the onions that were just sauteed, I added the three cups of tomato sauce and then another it called for another can so a total of about four cups of tomato sauce all together it's quite soupy right now at this point it's going to get soupier here in a moment because i'm going to add a full cup of that pinot noir to it and this is the part that you just can't rush 
the sauce is going to have to come together. The alcohol is going to be cooked out of the wine that was just added, so you won't taste. In fact, if you do taste wine in a sauce, it's usually bitter and astringent. It makes your mouth pucker up. You do want the tannins that are in the wine because that complements the tomatoes really well and sort of just mellows the whole flavor profile out for the sauce. So this is now going to take probably another 30 minutes or so, but we've got another task that we have to do while that's cooking down. Okay. I'm going to get it up to almost a boil, then I'll turn it down to sort of medium and let it reduce down. What you want to end up with is a thick meat sauce. Okay. Okay. Now, we've been for probably more than 30 minutes, and it doesn't kill anything that it takes longer than that. We have been doing eggplant in the sink. And so now the next step with the eggplant is to rinse it off, dry it off. So I'm going to take not environmentally friendly quantity of paper towels, set them out, and just by hand, in cool water, I'm going to just rinse off the eggplant. Yeah, take, take another environmentally unconscious quantity of paper towels and pat them. You shouldn't, I can still feel grains of salt on top of this. No, uh-uh. You just get the dampness off of them. I'm just patting them. Just patting them to try to get the water. And feel the grittiness on the top of that. Oh, yeah. So the salt is still there. It didn't dissolve into the eggplant. This is a good thing? This is a good thing because you don't want a big salty mess. You want eggplant that is going to taste like eggplant, which is really interesting flavor. I don't think there is anything that's like it. No, it's, so this is both a texture and a taste thing that I think neither one of us can really tell you what the taste is if you've not worked with eggplant before. I think it's kind of the unloved vegetable. A lot of people look at it in the store and go, oh my God, that's just like the eggplant emoji and I don't want to have anything to do with that. <laughs> But on the other hand, I wouldn't want it every night, but I think for certain things, like you just can't make this without it. You can't make musica without eggplant. You know, I've done sliced fried I had an Italian friend when I was growing up, a family friend that would do that for us. They would serve it with marinara sauce. This is the next thing we're going to talk about with uh, eggplant, frankly, is that it is a sponge. And we are going to use olive oil with this recipe. I'm going to turn back over to this sauce because I can hear it bubbling now. Yep, it's started. So I'm going to turn it down just a touch so it'll keep bubbling. But I'm going to reduce it down again to what I'm aiming for is a thick meat sauce. At this point, I'm going to add about... Oh, I don't know, a quarter cup, maybe less of fresh oregano and some fresh parsley, about the same amount. It's all chopped and cleaned. Yep. All right. So now comes the eggplant and oil discussion. Okay. You can put too much oil onto eggplant very easily. So I'm going to put about three or four tablespoons of olive oil on both pans, just sort of in an S shape on the pan. So 
baking, baking sheet. sheet. Yeah, thanks for catching me on that. All right, so what I do is I just take the eggplant and I'm going to smear the olive oil around in the pan to begin with. With the I, eggplant. With the <laughs> eggplant. So I'm using the eggplant as a brush. The first one gets too much on it, so I rub some of the olive oil off of it with the next piece. And I'm just going to repeat this over and over again. Now I'm not going to be trying to wipe the eggplants off. I'm just going to try to get enough olive oil on that they've got a little bit. It doesn't have to just completely cover it. You're just trying to get enough on it so that it's got a little bit of oiliness to it. They won't dry out or anything if you don't oil, oil up completely? No, but they, they will dry out too much, actually. And I'm going to add just a, again, this is just, you've got to look at it and see how much you need. I added another couple tablespoons of olive oil to this to spread around in the pan. And again, I'm going to just keep on trying to blot it off. Some of these slices that I made that were corrections of the previous slices are a little bit on the thin side, like that guy. And they're obviously going to cook quicker than the others. This oven at 425, it usually takes, oh, I don't know, maybe, I think the recipe calls for 15 or 20 minutes. That almost seems like too much to me. It goes pretty quickly, and you have to keep your eye on it. See that piece? I just started a new pan, and that piece has way too much olive oil on it. And the worst thing you can end up with in this recipe is greasy eggplant. That is gross. Mm -hmm. And it's really easy to do because the stuff is like a sponge. So my recommendation is just to work sort of quickly with it. Don't give it too much contact time with the olive oil. You're just trying to get a little olive oil to stick to it. And again, if the pan starts to get unoily looking like this one is, I'm just gonna add a little bit more olive oil to the second pan that I hadn't added any to. And that'll let me finish this two eggplants up. So single layer is what we're talking, keeping them from being on top of each other, right? Yes. You might have to invert some so they're yeah. together better to get everything. It's in. like playing Tetris. You yeah, there you go. Find a place for everybody. And again, both sides of it. Try to get a little olive oil on this last one. I feel like I'm shortchanging it, so I'm going to touch it to some of the other eggplants, try to get some olive oil off of them. And it's coming off. It's true that they are just little sponges for olive oil. Yeah. And so you can end up with really greasy eggplant. Again, I think it called for only a couple of tablespoons. I've never found that that was enough in order to do this. And I'm careful at the end not to take all of the oil off of the pan with the eggplant too. Once, oh. once it comes out of the oven, I just take the eggplant out and don't take all of the olive oil with it. All right, all right. We we're gonna pop them into a 425 degree oven that I pre preheated. This meat sauce is boiling a little bit too vigorously. There we go. I think I normally cook those eggplants for 15 or 20 minutes. Oh, here, this is where I always think it goes wrong. It actually, Jeff Smith's recipe actually calls for 30 minutes, turning them once during that time. And I think that's too much. I think you end up with a, a browned, you want it a little bit browned. You don't want crispy like eggplant chips. And you can end up with eggplant chips. Maybe he cuts his thicker than I did. So let's break here for about 15 minutes while you cook your eggplant, and then we'll take a look at it and, and see if it needs and, more. And have a glass of wine while, while you're waiting. Well, yeah, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> see you in a few.
Pat is busily flipping over the eggplant, and so his hands are full with hot pans and a spatula. They cooked for about 10 minutes. They're just starting to turn a tiny bit brown, and he's just using a spatula to flip them over, turning them like they were pancakes. And then you're going to put them back in for what, another, another 10 minutes? Another 10 well, minutes. Maybe a little bit longer. The, the thin ones are the problem. If you overcook them, like I said, you end up with eggplant potato chip things, and that's not so good. And they're going to cook again anyhow. So the idea here again is to dehydrate them a little bit because ultimately you want them to rehydrate with the sauce. You oh, want the juice. They'll actually soak up the they'll sauce. They'll soak up the sauce. Oh, yeah, man. Okay. So those are going back in, and then we're going to leave you be for another 10 minutes, right? Yep. All right, go away and finish your glass of wine. Or not. I mean, don't go too fast on that stuff. So big surprise for you. I forgot something. In the tomato sauce that we made, there was one onion, one whole, and it was a pretty good-sized onion. Cindy thought it was the equivalent of two medium-sized ones. So there's quite a bit of onion in the sauce. But then when you add the meat, you're supposed to put another two whole onions into this. So this recipe, the sauce you only use half of. You're using three out of the six cups that you produced. So that would have one onion in it. And then the final meat sauce has another two, supposedly, onions. I had another pretty good-sized onion, so I just chopped it up. And you can, if you forget something, just saute another onion in a separate pan and then add it to the sauce. Now, you may think this is also too oniony, but there's another reason to add onion to sauces besides the onion flavor. It also adds a texture and a fiber, in essence, to the sauce. So you're going to end up with a more luxurious sauce. It'll have more body to it, more volume to it, because the onion is serving as fiber content. So I've got the onion going in the other pan. The eggplant is almost done. It's had a total of, I'm going to guess, almost 20 minutes. Like I told you, I think 30 is too much. And the last time I looked at it a couple minutes ago, it was starting to get browned on the top. I don't want it to get too browned and too dehydrated, then you end up with something that never rehydrates properly, even when it's mixed with the sauce. So find a nice soft spot for the eggplant and don't overdo it. So that's the next thing to come out is the eggplant. And then after that, I'm going to add a little bit of Saigon cinnamon. This is pretty potent stuff. You should do it to your desired taste because it can overpower the sauce. It says a quarter teaspoon for the sauce part which I did not add it to the sauce. I usually add it here at this point to the meat sauce. And then it also asks for a little bit of allspice. So I just give it a dash of allspice. Cinnamon to taste in that. Yeah, cinnamon to taste. So I think that's like a half a teaspoon to a teaspoon. But don't overdo it, especially if you're using a really potent cinnamon like uh, Saigon cinnamon or Vietnamese cinnamon, which is what I've got. One other little trick, rather than pouring cinnamon directly into a pot and having the chance that it will just escape and you'll end up with a cup of cinnamon added, (laughs) what I normally do is pour it into the palm of my hand and then I just add a pinch or so of cinnamon to the sauce. That's about what I've always added. It perfumes the whole thing. It's just the taste. It's the smell. And I'm going to do the same thing with a little bit of allspice. This one is truly more like just a pinch. Pretty average pinch, I'd say. Allspice is sort of like nutmeg in my mind. Again, another aromatic sort of smell. So I'm just going to stir that in. And I think that's really what makes 
this particular Greek lamb meat sauce so special yeah. is cinnamon and allspice. Okay. Those are just weird things to put with proteins, but in fact, it's really yummy. All right, so I have now, with my extra onion that I had forgotten to put in, I'm just, I've sauteed it, and I'm gonna add it to the sauce and let it continue to cook on down. I think the sauce needs probably another 15 minutes or so to cook down. The red wine smell is all gone from the sauce, and it really is now starting to tighten up and look like something that you could use to put on layers like in lasagna, the kind of thickness and consistency that you'd use for a lasagna. Not quite, but it's getting there. It's getting there. Mm -hmm. A little bit longer. So I thought of another task for us to do while the sauce finishes reducing down, and that is that we still haven't sliced the potatoes that we're going to use. So what I want to do is end up with slices of potato that are about the same thickness as the eggplant are. And they're Yukon, and, so and you didn't peel them. I did not peel them. I, I like the fiber content. Well, and yeah, on it, a Yukon it doesn't matter. Mm -mm. They're tasty, and it, a lot of the nutrient of potatoes, which have very little nutrient, they're mostly just starch. A lot of the nutrient and trace elements are in the skin. So I'm going to cut up four of them to start out with. And I'm doing them on the long axis of the potato rather than the short one. Because I want slices that I'm just going to layer in between in that one layer. And I'll walk you through this as we assemble this casserole thing in the big old dish that we're going to do. So again, I'm just slicing up four potatoes. And this was a modification of the recipe you'll find from Jeff Smith. But I kind of like the added texture and that little bit of starch that's otherwise not in there. These potatoes that I sliced maybe could have been cooked a little bit more. We're going to have to see when the final product comes out. But I think that they're actually pretty close to being about where we want them. So I have got the casserole dish now, and I've just wiped the inside of it with a little bit of olive oil and then basically wiped all of it out. I just wanted a sheer layer of it in order to prevent the eggplant from sticking to it because it's a pretty starchy vegetable in and of itself, and so it will stick and adhere to the ceramic coating. So you want to make sure that you don't have that happen. It makes it much more difficult to serve. And we're just about ready to assemble this. The last thing that happens after your sauce gets thickened down to where you're happy with it, and I'm almost there, is that we're going to add a half a cup of Parmesan cheese to the sauce. All right, I think we are sufficiently reduced now with the sauce. It maybe could go a little bit further, but we're both concerned that we want to be able to reconstitute the eggplant with the little bit of juice that's in it. And so I am now ready to assemble the bottom part of this. The sauce obviously was the thing that took the most time, right? So you're going to do one layer of eggplant. So you wait, just wait, wait. oh, I want to do a little bit of sauce. Yeah. You're right. Did you already put all of? Oh yeah, you did. I did. I did. All right, so I'm going to put a, a ladle full or two in the bottom of this pan. Again, it already has olive oil smeared in it to keep it from sticking. The eggplant needs something to lay on. So I'm going to put one layer of eggplant down. Cindy will take a photo so you can see what this is going to look like when it gets put together. You don't want to necessarily overlap them. And some of the pieces are going to be thinner than others, and that's just how it goes. 
And so about one full eggplant goes in the bottom. In fact, exactly, one full eggplant goes in the bottom of your dish. And now I'm gonna take about half of the sauce and make a nice layer on top of the first layer of the eggplant. Spread it around. Oh, you know, I forgot to do one thing, didn't I? I need to add one full cup of Parmesan to the meat sauce. So I'm going to add it to the remaining sauce that's in the pan. It won't make any difference that it's not equally distributed between each of the layers. Because we're going to... Yeah, we're going to cut it vertically through the whole thing. So You just added that to the sauce in the pan. I did. I added one full cup of Parmesan to the remaining half of that sauce. And so it's going to be cheesy deliciousness to go on the next layer up. That always works for me. Yep, yep. All right, so now that we've done the one layer of eggplant, the one layer of sauce, now I'm going to take the potatoes that I sliced, and I'm just going to lay them out as a layer over the top of what we've got as our base. The assembly of this actually goes pretty fast. It's all this prep that goes into the front end of it that's the time-consuming element. And I think I've got it just almost exactly right with four potatoes, right? So essentially you've got a full layer of eggplant and then a, a layer of meat sauce and then a full layer of potatoes. So you have just enough potatoes to sort of make the equivalent yeah. of the eggplant. All right. So then going to do more meat sauce. And you know what? I've got enough meat sauce here that you don't want this swimming in it. So what I'm going to do is I'm taking about half of the half that I had and putting that in between here on top of the potato. Then I'm going to do my last layer of eggplant on top of that. We should have told you that Cindy and I tasted this sauce before I even got to the end here, and we added a little bit more salt because we both felt like it needed it. That's something you have to just personally decide what is enough for you and your family. Although, you know, once you add the cheese to it, that's going to add some salt. It absolutely. Parmesan has a lot of salt in it, but I didn't really salt it up when I applied that last bit. So now I've got what probably was about a third of that meat sauce to have put onto the top of this last layer of eggplant. And after we get that done, then the last thing to do is to make the bechamel. There's some good cheese along the side there. Don't miss that part. There you go. Okay, okay, I get it all. <laughs> and we're almost sauced up here. And you can see, Cindy could tell you that there's some open gaps in between things. And so I'm just going to push the sauce into the crevices in between things. So it kind of doesn't have a whole lot of empty spaces. And so all of the eggplant gets covered with this last little bit as I splash myself with sauce there. Trying to get the last bit out. Just slop it around so everybody gets covered. Cindy will take a photo, show you what it looks like at this point. Now, the last thing to do here is to turn the heat on with your third of a cup of butter. So you got a saucepan, a saucepan there, a third of a cup of a cube of butter there, a third of a cup, okay. And it's unsalted. Oh, it is, okay. Unsalted butter. Okay. It's a third a cup of butter and a half a cup of flour, but I let the butter melt first. All right, I'm gonna talk about the flour. Because when we're baking, you know how I always tell you, you have to stir the flour to aerate it and then scoop it in with a spoon and then level it off. 
For this, that's not what he did. He just scooped it out of the flour container, and so it's packed down pretty tightly. Mm -hmm. So you really only need to worry about the aerating and the spooning lightly if you're baking. In this instance, it doesn't matter. It's just a thickening agent at this point, and we're making a roux. That's right. Which, if you've listened to any of my podcasts, which by the way you can find on all of your favorite podcasters thingies, I post them onto SoundCloud, and it goes out to everywhere from there. And if you want to see pictures of what we're doing, they'll be on the cookalongpodcast.com. Now, I forgot what I was going to say. What was I talking about? Making a roux. Oh, making a roux. Oh, so the last time we made a roux, I think, was... It could have been the chicken pot pie. Uh, I have a really, really good chicken pot pie recipe on the website. You could look for that. Also, if you ever feel like contributing to this podcast, I'd love to have you visit my Patreon page. Just go to patreon.com and type in the Cook Along podcast and you'll find me. But we've used roux a couple of times, and I've talked to you about the combination of any kind of fat and flour and some kind of liquid in different proportions makes different things. So the roux is like the start for your gravy and your soup and your pot pie filling and it's just gumbo. Gumbo. Now, the trick is once the butter is melted, it still has water in it, and that's a good thing. You don't want to cook the butter too long so all the water goes out of the butter. It's not just oil, like you might think, because what you're going to end up with now, after having added that half cup of flour, is kind of a gooey-looking mess. And the goal here for this particular sauce is, since it's a white sauce, I'm just going to cook this on a medium heat for about two minutes. I don't want it to brown because then you'll end up with a kind of a gray colored bechamel. So you're really aiming for the butter yellow color to be the only color that's to it. So keep an eye on it. I'm using a spatula to push it around in the bottom of this pan. And once this is done, in fact, Cindy, if you'll stir this just for a minute, I'm gonna go over and put my four cups of milk that I've had out that are about room temperature right now. I'm gonna put them in the microwave and just put them on high for a couple of minutes in order to get the milk warmed up because you don't wanna add cold milk to a warm roux. That's a bad idea. There's two minutes to warm up that milk. Cindy's lifted the pan up off of the heat because the heat may be a little bit too high. And yeah, we don't wanna lose all that water before the milk hits it. So I've turned the heat all the way down now to the lowest setting that it'll do. And I think that's good. It's about as done as I think it needs to be. Yeah, so should we take it off while we wait for the milk? Yeah, I would. I just set it on the back burner. I leave the heat on. We've preheated the oven to 350 degrees because we're just about done with the preparation of this. It seems like we've been cooking all afternoon, right? It does. (laughs) But this is not your I'm going to guarantee you that if you make this for family and friends that they'll they'll love you forever. This is maybe the most comfort food thing that I can think of cooking. It's like lasagna. Lasagna is really that same thing. You, You toil over it for a whole afternoon and then in the end it's just amazing and everybody has the oohs and ahs. And in fact that's what it was we did the roof for last time I think was the white chicken lasagna that we did. Mm, that sounds good. It was really good. It was really good. You know what? There's a little 
I put a little nutmeg in it. But just enough that you couldn't even tell quite what it was. Right, well that's gonna happen here with this bechamel as well. There is a little bit of nutmeg that gets grated into this. It's to taste, it's to how much you wanna do. I like to be almost a little heavy handed with it because frankly I absolutely love the smell of nutmeg. All right, I think this milk has had almost two minutes on high in the microwave. So what I'm gonna do now is just pour the whole kit and caboodle into this pan. We're just putting it back on the heat. So you're not worrying about adding the milk slowly? No, not to this. I'm not because the next thing that I am going to do is to take a whisk. And I'm going to whisk this. The whole concept of the roux is that you've taken that flour and encapsulated it with fat. You hate getting lumps, big lumps of dough in your, your sauce. That's not good. So the reason for adding the warm milk to it is now you're just going to suspend these fat encapsulated flour particles. And at this point, give it a stir. Do you feel any lumps? No, no. It's no, and I can feel it starting to thicken. It'll take a little bit. I'm going to turn it up from its lowest setting right now. I'm now kind of constantly stirring this bechamel that I've just generated with the milk and the butter and the flour. This is one of those things that if you do it too fast, the whole thing is going to clump up and look like glue, like Elmer's glue. It's going to get pretty thick, but you don't want to have it happen all at once. And so I've got the heat at about medium low. There's steam coming up off of the pan and I can't quite see it yet, but it's starting to thicken up. You can feel it with the whisk as you're doing it. So I'd just encourage you to keep moving it. That way it also won't burn to the bottom because right. milk scorches or so it easily. Up, you know, yeah. Thicken up at the bottom and then you got stuff you got to try to figure out how to mix back in. Yeah. So we're, we're approaching Nirvana here. It's getting thicker. I can definitely see it. And the final consistency of this is, it's like a sort of a whipping cream consistency, not stiff like that, but just short of where you'd say, oh, I'm happy I could serve that as whipping cream. You see it start thickening up. It's enough so you could make a pattern in it with the whisk and it enough would hold it. Yeah, maybe something along that, but it's also a feel. And this is one of those things that I'm just gonna tell you, you'll have to make this once in order to figure out what the final consistency looks like. Well, then I noticed you, your, the, the eggs that you cracked a while ago, you already whisked those. I whisked them, so the whites are all completely mixed with the yolk and they're at room temperature. So again, don't add a hot sauce to a cold egg. So these are kind of do-aheads. We want to warm up the eggs and we want to warm up the milk. Yep. Yeah, okay. The milk, I don't know that it's so necessary. I happened to be thinking about it when I was pulling all the refrigerator elements out. I let it stand at room temperature while we were making everything else. Right. You could just take it out and pop it in the microwave. Milk's pretty forgiving about being microwaved, so. Stirring, stirring. It's annoying sometimes making a sauce but this is one of those things again that please don't rush through because if you do you're going to end up with glue if you scorch it on the bottom it won't taste good so just take your time it's thickening up you know you you estimate these things in your oh, head see. oh see but then it starts to turn quickly doesn't it yeah Once it uh -huh. starts to go it goes fast yep yep 
And you're actually not done cooking this at this stage because what we're gonna do is we're gonna temper the eggs a little bit further by putting some of this hot sauce that we're making here with the roux and the milk directly into the eggs and whisk them as we add that. And then we'll add that egg mixture back into the sauce, quickly whisk it together and put it back on the stove to cook the eggs. And that keeps the eggs from scrambling. It yes. It keeps them from turning into hard lumps. Yep. And then at that last sort of cooking period there, that's when I'm going to add the other secret of a good bechamel, which is nutmeg. Okay. Now, I also have not added any salt to this at this point, and we used unsalted butter. So, Cindy, if you would grab that salt, the grinder, mm -hmm. and give me five or six. I'd probably even go maybe one, one or two more. There we go. And the reason we're not gonna oversalt it at this point because this is also gonna get one more half cup of Parmesan. Yeah, there's no calorie counting problem in this <laughs> yeah. particular recipe. Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah, that would be kind of We don't, we don't wanna do it. And but if you go to the- if it's you vegetables <laughs> in it. <laughs> it's got everything. The other thing about it that we love, we always try to cook the one dish meal in our house. Yeah. This has got everything in it you need. You don't even need to have a salad, which we're gonna have tonight. It's so heavy that it's kind of nice to have something with a vinaigrette on it to cut all of the fat and right, right, right. cheesy and milky deliciousness of this. All right, so yeah, you're right. It's way over five minutes. And <laughs> it may be that I, I'm being more careful than usual today. I'm gonna turn the heat up just a tad on the stove. Cause this yeah, is, it thicken, it's really thickening, but it hasn't yet. And there's just sort of a magic temperature this comes to, and then the whole thing is gonna uh, start being thick like clotted cream. We're almost there. Once it does it, I'll, I'll figure out how to explain what it looks like when it, the correct thickness. But right now, it's like gravy. That's what I was trying to think of. It's, this is the base of a gravy also. Right, right, right. And so if you can think about what gravy looks like at Thanksgiving, is this would... Is that the texture we're looking for? That's not lumpy. Like not Thanksgiving lumpy, gravy has same. giblets and stuff in it. But this is just, it's that same thickness. Thickness, okay. The eggs, of course, once they cook into this whole thing, are going to really thicken this up. It's almost custard-like by the time the eggs have been added into it and the cheese. Tell them what you said to me about why you're, we're doing this after everything else is all done. Oh, because once bechamel is made, it has to be put on the final layer immediately. Otherwise, it gets lumpy and looks like scrambled eggs, in essence. So the final product out of the saucepan here is going to be just a really fine sauce and it'll pour nicely over the top of the eggplants and meat that we have on the bottom. So we don't want to get something that's got a whole bunch of lumps and stuff in it. Cindy, what do you think? I don't think it's gravy texture yet. I don't think so either. I think it's getting there. I think it's, it's almost there. there. So we're getting very close. Okay, now what we're do you think? really close here. Yeah. So. It's beautiful, it's silky, it's gorgeous. All right, I'm satisfied that I've got this to the place where I wanted to be. All right, so now the next trick, I have my eggs that I had pre-whisked, and now I'm gonna pour some of the bechamel while I whisk into the eggs. How much do you think? Oh, I'm probably putting in about no more than a quarter of what was there. And this is called tempering the eggs to get them 
a little bit warmer than where they were and you really got to stir it while you're doing this and then stir it all as you're pouring the egg mixture back into the bechamel slowly. You stir like crazy. Back into the original pan. Yeah. yeah. Wow, yeah, because if you don't, yeah, wow, I can see it wanting to do something else. It like turn into scrambled eggs. Turn into scrambled eggs, yeah. So I'm adding this back into the original bechamel mixture, the eggs, very slowly and whisking like crazy. And this is all done off the heat. I'm doing it on a granite countertop. In the pan, not just on the countertop. Yeah, no, <laughs> the pan is sitting on the granite countertop. How's that? All right. Believe it or not, we are almost done. I scraped the last little bit of egg out of it. And I'm ready to put it back onto the stove. And I'm going to turn the heat back down to medium low. And at this point, you have to stir this stuff very thoroughly. Otherwise, it will stick to the bottom and it will end up being scrambled eggs. So why are we still cooking it? Because the heat that was transferred to the eggs is not quite enough to thicken it up further. It doesn't take a whole lot more. This is going to turn into a really much thicker sauce. The, yeah, and the other thing is that by doing this, once it sets up a little bit thicker than this, when you pour it on, you end up with this nice puffy, thick layer of bechamel rather than a thin, sort of gooey layer. So I'm going to add a half cup of Parmesan to this now and incorporate it, let it melt in. And again, you got some salt out of the Parmesan, the half cup that you just added. So that's why you don't need to overdo it. Cindy can comment about the, the texture of this in the next three minutes, what's going to happen. Oh, do I want to taste it? No, not yet. All right. There's no pepper in the topping. We, we had you plenty of pepper in the bottom. A white pepper anyway. That's right. And that if you were going to do it like in a hollandaise, I use white pepper in when I'm doing a hollandaise. Ruin the aesthetics of the beautiful white sauce. No. So what color is this to you? Oh boy, vanilla pudding color. It's uh, wow, it's not yellow. It's not, it's uh, it's, it's just off colors. white. Yeah, yeah off white. it's egg off egg crew. Egg crew. Beautiful. Oh my goodness. It's so lovely. I'm going to give it, it a little like bit more like heat. By stirring this, you're getting the heat from the bottom of the pan to come up into the sauce. So it's not only just preventing it from burning onto the bottom, you're redistributing the heat into the liquid phase above the fire. But I'm noticing that you're not just keeping things moving. You're really... Yeah, I, because I'm really worried it'll burn on the bottom. I mean, this is the difficulty of using a gas stove. You want to give it a little bit more heat because you're getting tired in your arm and you don't want to keep it on the low heat. You need to avoid that feeling. Just keep going anyway. Just keep going. Muscle through. Muscle through <laughs> at a, just a little lower temperature. As long as it's steaming and getting thicker slightly, 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 minute by minute, then you can be happy. But I got a little impatient and I decided I'd turn it up just a little bit more than medium low. It's a little bit closer towards medium right now. After you work with these kind of sauces a while, you can kind of figure out how much heat to give them. I think the biggest mistake people make is to start with too much heat and then they end up with scrambled yeah. eggs. Yep, yep, yep. And after you do that, that's the end of it. You have to start over. 
I've done it quite clearly at right at this stage and you end up with what is bits of scrambled egg floating around in your sauce and it's gross yeah you wouldn't think it would occur it turns into a lumpy gross thing I guess you could strain it at that point if you really wanted to if it got some lumps yeah then my wife says and then you end up with half as much sauce as you need uh, I'm still waiting for this magic to happen. Uh, it's starting. How do you know? What do you I can feel it with okay. the whisk. Oh, oh, I can see it too, actually. See, just all of a sudden, it wow. starts to thicken up, and you can actually leave trails in the sauce now with your whisk. At this point, it's probably just about done, and you could stop right here. I like to take it just a little bit further until it's just a little thicker. And I think that's probably good enough. Okay. This is when the nutmeg is going to happen. So I just take it, the pan off of the heat. I've got nutmeg and a microplaner, and I'm just going to a little bit of nutmeg here. I would say, you know, if you've seen a nutmeg nut before, I'm probably using maybe less than a quarter. So. In grated sense, I would say I ended up with about a half a teaspoon, maybe. Okay. And then you just stir that in. All right, so now you're just going to pour this gently over the top of this whole pan. And you see at the bottom here, it's actually congealed a little bit. Just from sitting there without me stirring it for the last little bit. It, it didn't turn into scrambled eggs, but if I had... the same texture. Uh-uh. you even took it off the heat. So I'm going to take a tablespoon and just smooth the bechamel around the top so the whole thing gets covered in it. And it's ready to go. And now look here. Oh, I'll be darned. It's scrambled right on the side, see? I'll be darned. Wow. Just Good. sitting there in the heat. And the pan is still yes. pretty warm. Okay. So into the oven this big thing goes for one hour at 350 degrees and the bechamel will puff up and be kind of souffle-like. That's the end of it. So I hope you had fun listening to this. This is not for the meek and it is not for somebody in a hurry. I'm thinking we spent probably at least two hours and that's before it bakes for an hour. So don't do this on short notice. <laughs> Little wine fortification never hurts. Visit the website for ideas for dessert. Visit my Facebook page. I'd love to have you leave me a comment in either the messages. He's licking the pan, just in case you were wondering. <laughs> you can't waste bechamel, so he's scooping out the rest of the pan, even though it's a little bit scrambled. <laughs> the Cook Along Podcast Facebook page, you can leave comments for me either in the feed or send me a personal message. I'd love to hear from you. And until next time, happy cooking. If you're enjoying this podcast, you can make a contribution through the supporter link on every Cook Along podcast page or go to Kofi, ko-fi.com slash the Cook Along podcast. Thanks for your support and thanks for listening.